I invite you to kneel with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you that you are holy, that you are almighty. We thank you for the privilege we have to enter into this place to sing praises unto you. God, we have come here today on this Sunday as we have many times before. We come here today on this Sunday joining hundreds and millions and billions of Christians throughout time, space, history who have celebrated and lived and died for the reality of your resurrection that happened on that Sunday. God, we thank you that you are alive, that you're here with us right now. Speak to us as we open your word is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're like me, over the past several months, you have been a part of all different types of meetings. Not your normal meeting. If you do meet with someone in your company or group or school, you have to have that six feet distance. But most of the meetings I had have, have been, off, been on different types of technological platforms and connections, if you would. Of course, I've had several conference calls on my cell phone. I've had way too many Zoom calls. Last week, I was on a new form, a Zencaster meeting call, FaceTime meeting call. And then I was on one Friday called StreamYard. I've never heard of these things, did not know that they were out there. But it's interesting how much we've advanced in technology over the years. When I was a little kid growing up, we watched cartoons, and one of my favorite cartoons was the Jetsons. Remember the Jetsons? Meet George Jetson, his boy. Remember, remember how they had those, those, those uh, watches on their phones, and they could see people as they were talking to him, spacely, his boss, he could see him. And we thought, there's no way that could happen. And it happens. But as great as technology is, and as wonderful that we live in this George Jetson era, out of all the meetings I've been a part of the last several months, I, I don't think one of them has gone completely smoothly. In other words, there's always been some kind of technological glitch. Maybe not with my phone and my Zoom Zencast or whatever, but someone else in the meeting. Has that happened to you too? I mean, you see it happening on the news right now. Someone's there and all of a sudden, oh, we've lost Bill right now, right? As you see his plant and his horrible art in the background, right? So, you know, and then I'll be in a meeting talking and all of a sudden someone's voice will start changing. And all of a sudden they're talking like Darth Vader, right? Or it goes into some kind of synthesizer like Peter Frampton. And it's just kind of, what is going on here? Or you'll lose them all together. So what I've discovered, and I obviously know very little about technology, but what I've discovered is this. This is profound. You may want to write it down. It doesn't matter what you have, how fancy your technology is, how great your brand new phone is, your iPad or computer or Zencast or Lancaster streaming Zoom, Zap, Zowie. It doesn't matter. 
how great and wonderful it is if you have a weak connection. If you have a weak connection to the Wi-Fi or to the tower somewhere or wherever that is, it doesn't matter. The meeting is going to be disrupted. The communication is going to be blurry. It's going to be fuzzy or it's going to be cut off altogether. Life's too short, isn't it, to have a weak connection. It's the same thing in life. We can't afford to have a weak connection in our family. We can't afford to have a weak connection with our spouse. We cannot afford to have a weak connection with our kids. We can't afford it. And especially when it comes to understanding God. And we've been talking about discovering God's will for the last several weeks. If I'm going to discover God's will for my life, if I'm going to live out God's will for my life right now in the world that we're in, at work, at school, at home, then I can't afford to have a weak connection with him. So what do we do? If you say, well, I don't feel like I have a connection at all. I have no connection, no bars here. Or maybe I have a weak connection or it's an okay connection. How do we improve that connection? What do we do? Call Verizon? Call AT&T? Good luck. I say we sprint to the Bible. Thank you, one person caught that. We sprint to God's Word and see what He has to say to us today about what we can do about a weak or a broken connection. If we want to get in on God's will for our life, if we want to grow in God's will for our life, if we want to know the center of God's will, we need a strong connection. So look at the book of Colossians, chapter number 1, verse 15 following. Colossians 1, verse 15 following. One of the most power-packed, iconic passages in the entire Bible. Now, you have to realize that the guy who is writing this passage, about 12 to 14 years before he wrote this, he didn't believe it. He was an absolute skeptic when it came to what he's about to write now. And now he's writing one of the most powerful passages in the history of the world, really. And it talks to us about how to get rid of a weak connection. So check it out. Paul is writing this. Of course, he says, he, referring to Christ is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. And the word firstborn there in the original language does not mean first in order, but first in preeminence. For by him all things were created. Things in heaven and the spiritual realm and things on earth. Things visible and things that are invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Not only that, verse 18 says, he is head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have The supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him 
and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Why did Paul write these transcendent, transformative words? It's simple. Paul realized that ideas have consequences. Ideas, philosophies, ideologies have consequences. So almost every letter that he wrote in the New Testament, and he wrote 13, every letter was addressing an ideology, an idea, a belief that was in the Greco-Roman culture that had seeped into the church and threatened to destroy or disrupt or to weaken their connection with God in Christ. We looked at Philippians recently this summer. What was the backdrop of Philippians? It was Stoicism. What is he addressing here in Colossians? What's the backdrop? It's Gnosticism, a perennial belief in that culture in that day that believed that the material world was bad, the spiritual world was good, that there was a hierarchy of angels and principalities, that Jesus Christ was simply one of many. And so that's why next week we'll begin a brand new series looking at one of the most dangerous ideologies and philosophies that's invaded our culture and is also threatening the church as well. We're simply following the footsteps of Paul. But today we're going to check out Colossians. We're going to check out what he's saying to us about how to be in the center of God's will, which is how to get rid of a weak connection and have a strong connection. Because that's what we need. That's what you need. That's what I need. I need a strong connection. I need a strong connection to the source. What is a source? Well, it's interesting in our culture, we have a, an obsession about, you know, quantifying things and ranking things in order, don't we? You notice that? College football season. I think it's going to happen. Sort of, right? In college football season, we're obsessed every year as it rolls around. Who's number one? Let me relieve your worry and stress. It's either Clemson or Alabama, Alabama and Clemson. But we still want to know, what do the polls say? Who's number one? Who's the best college football team in the nation? The Forbes 500 list. We want to know who is the number one wealthiest person in the United States. Yay, who is the number one wealthiest person, the richest person in the entire world? People Magazine asked, Every single year, who is the number one sexiest man alive? Not number two. Who is number one? So the Colossians here are having this hierarchy of different deities and gods and spirituality. They're saying that 
Christ, you know, he was good. He was some type of maybe prophet or something like that. But what Christ is is really not enough. You need to practice these new moon festivals. You need to practice this asceticism and buffet your body because the body and material world is bad in order to gain this spirituality. There was never really a creation out of nothing. Things just kind of cosmically spun out of this demerge and evolved into this world and matter, which is really bad now. So it's a type of dualism. Spiritual realm, heavenly realm is good. Earthly realm, bodily realm, where we live is bad. Okay? So he's writing this passage here to show us Who's number one? Who's number one? It's not these principalities and powers. It's Christ. He's saying Christ is it. He is the image of the invisible God. Well, I wonder what God is like. I sure wish God would do something and show himself to me. Jesus did that. Jesus is the face of God on earth. He is the creator. He is the redeemer. He is also the pre-existent one who has entered into our existence. It's quite amazing. It's quite fascinating. It's quite mind-blowing for our little human brains to try to figure out and grasp. Let's just try a little bit. Let's say if I left church today and I'm walking out to the car and I see a big old ant pile. And for some reason I have this kind of just weird, strange idea that I want to communicate to these ants, right? You got to admire ants. They're steady. They're stable. They're working. I don't think they're wearing masks or anything right now. And they're getting after it, right? Ants are busy. The book of Proverbs tells us that, to, to listen to the ant and learn from the ant. Let's say I want to communicate with the ant. What would I do? Try to speak some ant language and try to kind of wall around in the dirt. I can't do that. I'm too big. I'm a different being. I'm a different entity than an ant. But what if I could become an ant? There you go. I could become an ant and crawl around. And move dirt and build these big dirt pyramids with a hole on top and sting people when they're having picnics. What if I could be an ant? Then I could speak to the ants. I could understand what that ant-like, ant life is like. The same way with God. God is a being, a personal being, but his being, his reality is much greater than ours. Let's just say God wanted to communicate to us so badly, he wanted to have a connection with us, a strong connection that Hey, he decided to enter into our world, onto our earth, into our dirt. That's what he did in Christ. To use another analogy, uh, maybe you remember the, the great, I think he was British film director and suspense writer, Alfred Hitchcock. Remember old Hitchcock? Man, great movies back in the day. But Hitchcock would always do this. He would always insert himself somewhere in the film. Not a big role, maybe not even a speaking role. Maybe a busy street, New York street, walking down the street, and all of a sudden, there's Hitchcock. Someone gets on a bus, 
Gregory Peck or something like that, and sitting down right beside him is Alfred Hitchcock. The director, the writer, makes a cameo in his own film. That's what God did through Christ. God makes a cameo into our world, into our time-space history. The great existentialist philosopher Soren Kierkegaard said, that is the ultimate paradox. The infinite enters into the finite. God becomes man and dies on a cross. C.S. Lewis says it's not a paradox, it's perfectly rational. If there is a God who's behind everything, who made the universe and the meta-universe, well, surely this God, if he wanted to, could come down to earth and a man. What's that to God? It's another day, another walk in the park. Paul is saying here, that's what happened. Paul didn't always believe that. Paul was on the other side. Paul was on the other team until he had this radical experience, this life-changing experience with Christ. And he began to see in Christ the wisdom, the power, and the glory of God. And he couldn't escape from the fact and the reality that Christ came out of the grave on that third day, on that Sunday. And it's through Christ he was telling us that we can have a strong connection with God. But we all have to make that decision. One of the most prolific rock and roll stars in the last 20 years is a guy by the name of Bono. He's a lead singer of U2. And he was being asked about his own beliefs in Christ. And he said, if we could only be more like him, we would be transformed. The world would be transformed. When I look at the cross of Christ, what I see up there is all my sins and everybody else's. So I ask myself a question. A lot of people have asked, who is this man? And was he who he said he was? Or was he a religious nut? And there it is. That is the question. No one can talk you into it or out of it. Some people believed based upon the evidence that Christ was alive, that he was who he says he was, and their lives were transformed and they were filled with wisdom and courage. Others didn't believe and chose to run in spite of the evidence. But if we want to have that strong connection with God, if we want to persevere in God's will for our life, then we have to have that strong connection to Christ. Christ is the mediator between the infinite realm and the finite realm, between the earthly realm and the heavenly realm. He connects us to God the Father. So if you're wondering, what's God's will for the world? What's God's will for my life? God's will for the world and the future is Christ. 
God's will for your life and my life is for you to know Christ, to make Christ known, and to grow in the character of Christ in your life. That's his will for your life and my life. He's number one. He's supreme. He's preeminent. He is our strong connection with God. What else? We can see it here in the verse. It says that Christ is the head of the body of the church. So when we have a strong connection with Christ, we also equally have a strong connection to the church. Now, it took me a long time to understand this because I'm a little bit slow. I'm a Baptist, so bear with me. But the church, check it out, is the visible body of Christ until he returns. So when you and I are connected to the local church, we are like human body. There's a diversity of parts, but there is a unity, hopefully, in our, in our movement. Some people are a hand, some people are a foot, some people are the brain, the nose, the ear. Someone's got to be the eyelashes, okay? So we have all these parts that are moving together. And we represent Christ until he returns again. Obviously imperfectly, but we seek to represent him. So that's why so many times when, when uh, in your life, when you receive an encouraging word or you receive a word of comfort, it comes from some other body. It comes from another human being. It comes from someone within the church. And we experience Christ. We experience God through other people. It's quite amazing. And if we're to discover God's will for our life and stay in the center of God's will and have a strong connection with him, we've got to have this strong connection to the body of Christ, which is the local church. I got an email this week. It was addressed to, to myself and to my dad, and it was a thank you note, a thank you email, if you would, okay? And, and it was written uh, by a guy who's now... I don't know, he's been a member of our church for some 25 years. Uh, when he first came here, he was an atheist. He didn't even believe that God existed. But something happened in his life that made him curious, and he came to believe in God, and eventually he came to believe in Christ, and he was baptized, and so was, he raised his family here. And he was involved in the church, and as he was writing this email to us, he said, thank you. Thank you so much for welcoming into your church. Thank you so much for allowing me to use my gifts and talents and grow in the church. It's basically saying it's affected my family, my life, my career, everything. And he took the time out to crank that out. It was this strong connection, this strong connection to Christ and strong connection to the church that transformed my friend's life, that transforms my life. So you have to ask yourself the question today. What's your connection like? Do you, what's your connection like with Christ? Do you have a weak connection or, or a good connection? Or maybe you have no connection. What's your connection like with his church? Do you have a strong connection? And how about the, the last word here? He says what? 
It says, for God was pleased to have all of his fullness of deity dwell in Christ and through him to reconcile, to connect all things to him where the things on earth are things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So we also have to have, listen, a strong connection to the cross of Christ. A strong connection to the cross of Christ. Tertullian, his early church father, he wrote this in probably around 200 AD or so. He said this about the early church, how central the cross was. He said, at every forward step in movement, at every going in and out, when we put on our clothes and shoes and when we bathe and we sit at the table, when we light the lamps on couch, on seat, and in all the ordinary actions of daily life, we trace upon our forehead the sign of the cross. The sign of the cross. The symbol of our faith is not a dove. It's not a lightning bolt. It's not a star. And it's not a feathered pillow. The symbol of our faith is the old, rugged cross. A few years back, a group, I don't know if it was a school or something, was in a meeting and this is at our North Campus, and this group made a request to have a graduation or some kind of meeting in our worship center on North Campus. And they said, we'd love to have a meeting there, and we want to get approval. The only thing we would ask is that you cover up the cross. And we said, let us think and pray about that for a nanosecond. No. No. We will never cover up the cross. We will cling to the cross. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapters number 1 and 2. He said, when I came to know you, Paul was a brilliant man, a brilliant theologian and thinker, and he was adroit with the philosophies of the day. Paul said, when I came to know you in Corinth, I wanted to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified because in the cross of Christ, I see the wisdom and the power of God. And then the book of Galatians, in Galatians 6, 14, he said, may I never boast about anything. May I never boast on who I am and what I've done and my degrees and how much money I have and success I have. May I never boast in those things, but may I boast only in the cross of Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. We've got to have a strong connection to the cross, which means the cross has to become your boast and my boast. What is a boast? A boast is something that you put emotional confidence and security in to face the day that you have. Are you boasting in your titles, your degrees? Are you boasting in your smarts, your looks? Are you boasting in your wealth or your lack of wealth or your whatever? What are you boasting in? Paul says, I want to boast in the cross. 
I've been crucified to the cross. The world's been crucified to me. What does he mean by boasting in the cross? Well, when we listen to the cross, the cross tells us two things at the same time. First of all, the cross tells us this. When you look at the cross, it tells us, wow, we're really messed up. We are messed up and we have messed up and we've broken God's laws and we're guilty and we're shameful. And that's what it took that bloody, messy death to deal with my stuff. That's the first thing it tells us. But at the same time, the cross tells us that we are loved, that we are valued, and that we are cherished, that God will become man in Christ and sacrifice his son in our place, that we might be forgiven, that we might have a relationship with him, that we might have a strong connection to the God who made us and to the God who knows us. The cross simultaneously humbles us to dust and exalts us with boldness as we contemplate the sublime love and mercy of God the Father. How's your connection to the cross? Do you have a strong connection to the cross? Let's say that you want to sell something. Let's say you had something you want to sell. You want to sell, maybe you want to sell your house, you want to sell your car, maybe you want to sell a gold bullion you got from Roslyn Capital. I don't know. You want to sell something. How do you assess its value? How do you assess the value of what you want to sell? How do you know how valuable it is? It's simple, right? It's the values based upon what someone else is willing to pay for, right? How much they're willing to pay for it is the value of that particular object. How about your life? Your very life. How valuable is your life to God? It's based on what God was willing to pay for your life. And what did he pay? The very life of his son, Jesus Christ. His blood shed on the cross to reconcile you to him, to give you that strong connection. And as Christ came out of the grave alive, he even abolished the fear of death because we know that death is dead and the connection with God is an eternal one because of what he's done for us. I think we hear it so much in the modern age that we forget the majesty and the mystery and the power of the strong connection that God has for us. The value that he's placed on your life through sending Christ for you to die and rise again. That's how we stay 
grounded in the center of God's will. That's how, how we have a strong connection with him. It's through Christ. It's through his church. It's through his cross. 